ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Nadia Abu Nabut. She's a professor of interactive marketing and social media at WU Vienna and an expert on programmatic advertising and quality issues in display advertising. We'll be discussing a recently published article concerning programmatic advertising and website quality that she co-authored with Adlira Shihu from Copenhagen Business School and Michelle Clement from University of Hamburg. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. When I read even just the abstract for your article, The Risk of Programmatic Advertising, Effects of Website Quality on Advertising Effectiveness, I knew I had to interview the authors who conducted the research. I, like many others, have read a lot about ad safety, brand safety, and about what that means for brands, but I haven't seen anything written about website quality. Mm. Now, certainly marketing professionals using programmatic have made some assumptions about website quality and how it might impact their campaigns, but there really hasn't been any anything in the popular business media around research to test those assumptions. So this work is so important. And it's even more important because your results run counter to some of the gut-based decisions a lot of marketers Mm. are making. So I want to dig in and discuss what you studied, how you studied it, and most importantly, what you found and how marketing professionals should onboard this research into the way they do their work. So first, I'd like to have you clarify some definitions because what Mm -hmm. things mean when they're studied is very specific. And it might be a little bit different from the average listener's personal definition. I want everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. So to start, what is a premium website and what is a non-premium website? Uh, so that's extremely hard to define. And it's actually <laughs> something we were uh, thinking about doing another project on. Um, but what we did is, so we have two studies in the paper. And in the first study, we took the definition of the platform, the video sharing platform, that we did the study with. And in the second experiment, we let advertisers uh, rate our websites that we had, whether they're premium or not. Um, In general, they told us that um, like something like the New York Times would be considered to be premium um, because of the high editorial uh, quality and the website design and... um, Uh, A non-premium website would, for example, be a forum where there's a lot of user-generated content and sometimes maybe stuff you don't, that might not be a brand safety problem per se, but that, I don't know, a company would not want to be associated with. So in that in that second one, mm-hmm. we start to wander into issues of uh, user experience, load time and things like mm-hmm. that. Is that right? Um, and when I was looking through the, through the detail of the paper, uh, one of the examples that was given, you had given this sort of the New York Times mm. as the as the premium. And then like all recipes.com would be mm. not premium. Is that is that a fair sort of mental mm-hmm. mental picture? Yeah, for example. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so 
Uh, what about the brands themselves? How do you determine what is a premium brand and what wasn't? So that was determined by uh, consumers. So we also let consumers rate those brands on a scale that um, uh, captured prestige and image of the brand. So we asked several questions that captured those things. And a premium brand would be a brand that is high, that has a high prestige, like BMW, for example, if we talk about cars. Uh, and a brand that was considered non-premium, that was something like... I don't I don't know whether you have those cars in the US, but in Europe, they are quite, uh, quite famous. And that's Dacia. Mm. Uh, that would be a non-premium brand, pretty low price. And uh, like, yeah. So more Probably. of a, a utility brand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a very good distinction. There's the premium brand BMW and then that utility brand that just gives you a value for your, uh, for your bucks. And uh, that could be Dacia. Okay, fantastic. And and was it was this entire experiment conducted in Europe or were there also US participation? What was the the locus of the who were who were the participants? It was all Europe. So uh, as I said, we had those two studies and the video sharing platform. Uh, that was, I guess, uh, it was definitely a European audience. Um, I think it was a German audience. Um, and the second study was definitely in the German market. Um, so that's also a European audience. And we let European or German consumers rate those brands. Um, and okay. also the websites were... Uh, German websites, the video sharing platform that was international. I mean, it was a global video sharing platform and they have a lot of stuff on it. I see. Great. And um, how many, in terms of you know, margin of error, roughly how many people were involved in each study? Um, so uh, in the first experiment or the first study, um, we had about 5,000 participants. They were in a GFK panel um, and they were uh, asked questions uh, after video ad exposures. And uh, in the second study, we had about 350 million ad impressions um, not unique users, but ad impressions in uh, the study. That's fantastic. That that really gives us a sense of these are these are this is a robust. People can really take this information and and feel pretty confident mm -hmm. that it's representative. Well, now that we have the buckets under consideration, there are broadly speaking two types of digital campaigns that marketers run: brand awareness and brand performance. Which, for purposes of our conversation, means one that generates a click as part of a call to action. So currently. In absence of scientific research, marketers have tended to take certain approaches with regard to these two types of campaigns and where their brands appear. Can you outline for us that for a premium brand, uh, what is the as-is approach for each type of campaign, for an awareness campaign, if you're a premium brand, how do people tend to approach that? Mm -hmm. So for a premium brand, the feedback that we got, we did we did some interviews and we talked to a lot of uh, industry professionals and what they told us that they would usually, for an awareness uh, campaign, uh, they would go to premium websites um, and uh, yeah, 
that would be their dominant strategy. For awareness campaign, premium websites. Mm -hmm. And what about for a performance campaign? For performance campaigns, it would uh, vary. So there would be some people who would say, uh, I would uh, definitely still go uh, with a premium website for my performance campaigns. But some other people would say, well, we're a little bit more relaxed if it comes to performance. And in those cases, we would accept being on non-premium websites as well. I see. And what about for non-premium brands? For non-premium for non, brands? Yeah, for non-premium brands, uh, there are some people uh, who would uh, say that, um, yeah, non-premium websites would be okay. Uh, but also some other people uh, would say that also for the non-premium brand, for a branding campaign, I would like to avoid the risk of being on a non-premium website. So, I see. Um, yeah, there's also these two sides. Some people would accept non-premium uh, for non-premium uh, brands completely, but some other people disagree with that and right. would only run it uh, for f- performance campaigns. But they would, as far as performance campaigns, they were pretty universally okay with a, a non-premium brand. Typically, non-premium. yes. Some some premium brands would say no, uh, but usually for performance campaigns, that's uh, what we heard is that usually they're okay with non-premium website advertising. Excellent. So now we understand our definitions and Mm -hmm. our as-is behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So you set out to test brand recall, attitudes, and Mm -hmm. clicks through these two studies. And the first study, which let's talk about the the one that used video advertising Mm -hmm. pre-roll, and that studied the impact of site quality on on, on branding campaigns, right? On the awareness. Yes, exactly. The video sharing platform, we uh, studied the branding impact. We have recall, we have ad and brand liking in there. So that's typically brand branding campaign uh, goals that we have there. Right. And what were your hypotheses going in to the study? <laughs> Uh, so we thought that for, uh, for recall, for, uh, attitudes, um, we would definitely see, uh, um, a positive impact of premium website advertising. That was our hypothesis. Okay. And what about, um, non-premium sites and the influence on brand recall? Did you feel that that would... Likewise, be a negative, and that that negative would be greater for premium brands. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. We thought definitely that the negative effect of non-premium uh, advertising would be bigger if you were a premium brand. That was what we expected. And and this was for all things for ad recall um, and liking. It was across the board, right? Because um, all of the things. Yes. Yes. So. So what, after running this experiment, what did you find? So after running the experiment, we saw, so what is maybe important here is that uh, there is some self-selection bias going on in that study. And we tried to correct for that uh, using a a specific method. Um, And what we found for recall was that there is actually no difference whether you advertise on uh, premium or non-premium websites and it the effect was the same whether we're talking about a premium or a non-premium brand. So recall was not affected at all, which is kind of good news if you just want people to remember your brand. Um, Obviously, whether you're a premium or a non-premium brand, you could go for non-premium website advertising. 
Right. But then but what, what are they recording? So, so they, they recall the name, but then yes. usually we're going to link it. So what about exactly. the feelings yeah. around the brand? Mm, yes. And then there's the caveat that when you're a premium brand, uh, ad liking and brand liking, so the attitudes towards the brand, they will decrease if you do advertise on a non-premium website. That doesn't happen if you're a non-premium brand, but we see that effect uh if you are a premium brand. So so the non-premium, that that is a definite decrease. Mm. Uh, excellent. And yeah. and and it doesn't it's a significant decrease. I mean, what mm-hmm. do you have a yeah. percent uh, difference between the two? Like how it would work for a premium versus non-premium, the differential between them? So um, in terms of ad liking, ad liking decreases for a premium brand from uh, on a Likert scale, I think that is. It's uh, from 3.7 to 3.3, and that is a significant difference. Um, and actually for the non-premium brand, ad liking stays exactly the same, whether you on a premium website or a non-premium website. It doesn't change. It's a little bit different for brand liking, but the effects are uh, pretty similar. Like there are decreases from 3.7 to 3.4 if you're a premium brand. And for the non-premium brand, it stays around 3.4 and 3.3. Wow. That's really... That's really interesting there. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're working in marketing mm-hmm. and you are working with a premium brand, mm-hmm. it's important if you're, if for your brand cachet to, to maintain things mm-hmm. to, to probably push onto premium websites and to not, yes. so that's, that's interesting. And if you're a non-premium, if you're a utility brand, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Like you exactly. Can, and that's uh, that's really useful. And also, as a digital publisher, if you're selling ads, I guess you were talking about programmatic, but even mm-hmm. if you're selling non-programmatically, this mm. is useful information to know because True. you can use it in your in your pitch. So I, yeah. I really think that this is it's fascinating. And so let's move on to your second study. And for this yes. study, you looked at banner ads and click-through mm-hmm. rates. Is that correct? True. Exactly. It was uh, the data was from from an ad exchange in Europe, uh, and we had 14 brands uh, in the sample, and the websites we had uh, 41 premium websites and 43 non-premium websites, um, and it was real campaign data. Oh, so that's fantastic. So you were watching real campaigns that were playing out. You weren't manufacturing made-up campaigns. So these Exactly. Real... On the one hand, it's fantastic. On the other hand, it, it, it gets tricky if you have real well, campaign data. That's because true because then biases. you have, well, sure, and you have better, better creative. Um, you know, what the agencies are selling is they do it better. So um, that aside, uh, what were your hypotheses going in for this with regard to um, ad clicks? So we also thought that advertising on non-premium websites would affect clicks negatively um, and um, that that effect uh, would be, the negative effect would be stronger for premium brands as well. That was our hypothesis. It's hypothesis. It's probably counter to what you would expect if you um, think about what practitioners do based on gut feeling. Um, but uh, theory would suggest that there might be a negative effect still. Right. Okay. So so you tested it. What did you find? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So what we find was uh, our dependent variable was number of clicks. Um, so we didn't look at click-through rate, but number of clicks. Um, and what we found was that actually um, we had 64% fewer clicks when advertising on a non-premium website as a premium brand. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's so 64%. Big. Yeah. So even if you're saying, well, I, I just care about the clicks, I don't really, mm, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yes. You're not getting value for money there. Yeah. Yeah, the, the big question there is, of course, the cost difference, right? There is a cost difference between premium and non-premium brands. And maybe um, if you're just looking at performance, that negative effect can be offset if uh, the costs are a lot lower. Um, but yeah, that really, uh, that really depends on the inventory and the costs of the websites. Right. And what about the impact? I mean, so so that's with premium brands, and that's exactly. a pretty stunning mm. number. Mm. What about if you're a non-premium brand? Does it matter? It's still 31% fewer clicks when you're a non-premium brand and advertise on non-premium websites. And I think that was one of the most surprising results that we got because there was that clear indication that non-premium advertising is probably okay with performance campaigns, but it's definitely okay when you're a non-premium brand. Um, but that doesn't seem to be true. So wow. at least if you don't consider costs and just look at pure number of clicks. Right. And so then then the cost really does become, you know, yeah, 31% fewer clicks. That's that's something. And I, I suppose mm -hmm. it makes sense if you actually think about it. If you think about these non-premium websites and you think about the user and you think how noisy yes. those sites are yeah. um, and how the consumer is is mentally just blocking out all the noise, any yes. of the noise, and just mm -hmm. trying to get at that you know, for me, I'd say the recipe, you know, I don't really yeah, care exactly. about all these things. Yeah, so, um, there's ad clutter on those websites. Maybe there's less trust. What happens if I click on one of those banners? Is it really safe to click there? Uh, that might be an effect that drives this. Um, right. Well, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. And I think, it, you know, what's interesting is the coinciding with this research is the news that Google is phasing out third-party cookies. Yeah. And they recently indicated that they will not build alternate identifiers to track individuals. Instead, they're going to be using an API that looks mm. at and delivers audience cohorts. Mm. So that's mm. really, we're not tracking individuals anymore. Full stop. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, true. And this, it, it, I would think that this would make websites and website issues more relevant, correct? I assume so, yeah. I, give, um, I think there are multiple initiatives now how advertisers are going to deal with that and they have to, some of them really have to redefine their business models. And I think one component that is becoming more important again, because I mean, like in the offline world context, targeting has always been important. Mm. Um, and at the beginning of uh, of display advertising, probably as well. So I think I think it will become more important again, and it will be one component to actually deal deal with the situation that uh, is being created by Google. Uh, yeah. Well, well, that's you know that's interesting because I was thinking, let's take that recipe site example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're Lecrisse and you're ad, might it be different if there's high um, context relevancy. 
That is an interesting question. Mm -hmm. You know? Yes, exactly. So uh, there are two things that we get uh, when we talk to practitioners. The the first thing is, yeah, but I would never do um, non-premium website advertising without targeting. So that's their immediate reaction Mm -hmm. that uh, the targeting should offset um, this negative effect. What they're usually talking about is behavioral targeting. But it is true that maybe context targeting would be able to mitigate that effect. And we actually don't know. That would be a very nice follow-up study. Yes. The problem, with, you, <laughs> please, yeah, the problem with these studies is always we try to get at that pure effect as much as possible. Uh, that's yeah, what, yeah, right. what we do in our research. But of course, the practical question, I can see how that is probably more important and more realistic um, when, well, it when goes we're into, talking about real campaigns. Yeah, and I think it goes into also when they're there, because there you're going to lean into gut a little bit. And mm-hmm. you're also um, pricing then, you know, because obviously yeah. the minute you start adding layers of we're targeting, mm-hmm. so then you really want it, you do want to know what mm-hmm. what you're gaining and what you're losing, what it's costing. And so mm-hmm. that's, um, I would love to see that study on that on yeah. context, especially <laughs> when, especially with things changing, especially as, as consumers become less willing to allow themselves to be tracked and yeah. with Google not supporting it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's interesting. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting about your studies was that you really didn't include the objectionable sites, the ones where, you know, mm. the, 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 the big uglies, you know, yeah. uh, and, and so that means that effect is actually pretty conservative. It, if you right. those bad sites, it should be much worse. Right. I was, I was thinking precisely that, that, that mm. you're dealing with, you know, when you're talking about premium and non-premium, you're not talking about you know, horrific, you know, that's mm-hmm. not in the bucket. And yeah. when you're using programmatic, you may end yeah. up on the horrific if you mm. don't invest in mm. making sure you don't end up there. So yeah. I, I think that that was really, um, that was really something mm. interesting as well. So, so what are you already planning follow-up studies? What is the next sort of thing on the plate? Uh, so the, the thing that you raised regarding the targeting, I would love to do a study on that. There's no uh, project partner for this one currently, but I'm always uh, looking out for project partners who would be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Where actually the first question that you raised, what makes a premium website premium? Mm. Maybe that's not so interesting academically. I'm not sure we would be able to publish that paper well, but it's definitely an interesting question from a practitioner's point of view, because we always get that question, what exactly is a premium website? And uh, we, well, it's right, hard to answer. Also, well, and also the what would be interesting there, because it's always the, the needle is moving because it's, mm. you know, the bar is set by the best experience a consumer is having. So if 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 Amazon is setting the retail bar for, mm. you know, speed, load times, efficiency, you know, there are so many aspects that go into, it's almost like you want to know what the levers are. Mm, exactly. And, and the bar is set somewhere else. The bar is set elsewhere, but the, mm. you know, you have generally, I think load time is a big deal because nobody's going to hang around. But um, Probably. beyond that, retail sites might have different, what makes it premium, 
Mm. experience versus a digital publisher site. Mm -hmm. And actually, there's a little bit of research on the retailing sites. Uh, On the publisher sites, uh, there's really very little work on that. So uh, I think that's an interesting question. Another thing that we were looking at with a student now is whether the same ad on social media versus a high quality medium like the New York Times, whether that has an effect. Well, that Um, would be really interesting, especially because Facebook can't be trusted with its metrics. I mean, you know, uh, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) Well, when you grade your own homework and everybody knows it isn't accurate and people yeah. still buy. It's just, it's amazing. So this is so interesting. And I'm sure everyone listening will have found this conversation very valuable. And I'm looking forward to to looking at your continued work in this area. Thank you so much for taking Thank the time you so time. much. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.